Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, as we continue during these COVID times, Bubba is back at the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. I'm sitting out on what is now called the Porch Studio, uh, and uh, and we'll be doing this edition of Rick and Bubba University. And, and Bubba, uh, I am really excited uh, to have our guest on today, uh, Robbie Gallaty. I, I was I was going to try to talk to you about the things that I know about Robbie but I didn't have to do anything to get you interested in getting to know him because something happened at the beginning of us <laughs> setting this up. Robbie Gallaty, uh, of course, pastor, uh, of course, author, senior pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He's, he's written multiple books. We're going to talk about some of those resources today, but Robbie, we can't go any further without introducing you to the Rick and Bubba University audience, but also to your fellow ham, Bill Bubba Bussy. It's a joy to meet a fellow ham, a new ham friend. So <laughs> excited to be here. Robbie, I'm excited you got into the hobby. And, and before we, we delve into that too far, uh, Rick, we got to mention how weird this is. You're, you're on the studio porch. Uh, you're on the porch studio. I've moved over here to your seat, old number one, which I've never sit in before. It's a great view over here. There's a lot of buttons and things. Well, it's a huge responsibility, Bubba. It's like being over there riding shotgun, and then if somebody said drive. <laughs> Very big. And, Robbie, congratulations on getting your ham license. I was glad to hear that. I've been a ham since high school. But we are always glad and welcome new people into the highly nerdy hobby of ham radio. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, I'm excited uh, to be a part of it. I've always wanted to do it since high school couldn't pass the Morse code test, or at least I didn't put in the time. And so, uh, finally did it. And my, I told my church about it a couple of weeks ago and some guy stopped me. He said, you're like a big nerd. I'm like, yes, I'm like a, a big nerd. <laughs> but Robbie, Can you're I... big enough that people won't call you a nerd. Uh, so you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> yeah. Six, six, two seventy five. So I don't so, know. I'm kind I mean, of bigger. You, you can go old Testament on somebody's head. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you bring the heat. Yeah. Bubba, I thought to myself, the minute Robbie told me that he had just got his ham, ham license, first of all, I was shocked. And, and then I thought it's six, six, two seventy. And I'm talking about, he's sitting there. I don't know what, what Robbie, you about, about two, 3% body fat. Uh, a I, little I, more probably, but not he, much, but a little more. Yeah. But Bubba, I think he, he just, this one move of Robbie Gallaty becoming a ham has, has taken ham radio and has given it a 10 plus hip rating. <laughs> it definitely, <laughs> it definitely has moved up the scale. And of course we're talking about Kilo Oscar four golf, Papa Zulu and KJ four JJ King, Juliet four Juliet, Juliet. Rattled it right off. I mean, that was something. How was that, Rick? Well, you know what? It, I feel, you know how sometimes you're going to introduce to, you know, an acquaintance to a, to a guy, to one of your friends, you don't know how it's going to go. And the minute he said that he, he had just got his Hamlet's license, I thought today's introduction could not be easier. I mean, you guys are going to connect from the very beginning. Robbie, what's funny too, a lot of my ham buddies, they always go, Hey, when's Rick going to get on the air? And I said, guys, Rick ain't going to get on the air. And, and yeah. we all need to be thankful for that. <laughs> well look I, I represent that comment all right so <laughs> let, let's let's jump in to, to robbie gallaty me the rick and bubba university audience now this is not the first time you've been talked about on the show and certainly the podcast is new but you made uh, rick and bubba history when you and i were doing a men's conference with lifeway i believe in nashville do i have all that right yep 
and and you were speaking first time I'd ever heard you speak and, and you did a great job. And just like you and Bubba just connect a ham, uh, you and I connected on uh, your commitment to men's. We have sadly similar testimonies. You know, we, I'm sure we wish we had different testimonies, but it, it is what it is. We, we can certainly show God changes human beings. And, um, but we were there and we got to, you know, we immediately were, man, I, I go hang with this guy. And I was really wanting to get to know, we were talking on the side of the stage and Russell Moore was on the stage, his turn speaking. And all of a sudden tell the audience what happened. Well, I was on the stage. I mean, I was on the side of the stage with you back, back on the side and uh, we were talking and all of a sudden I started seeing people at the corner of my eye moving on the stage. And uh, next thing you know, in the middle of Dr. Moore's uh, presentation, a man about six three, six four, is standing next to Dr. Moore. You know, and you and I are talking. <laughs> I didn't know if that was part of, part of the, the 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 program, but I knew Dr. Moore had spoke. I've seen him sp speak a bunch of times. He had never used a prop or a person before, so I knew that was odd. And then all of a sudden, one of the uh, one of the directors run over and say to to you and I, "Hey, I hate to interrupt, but Robbie, can you come help us?" There's no security guards around and there's someone on the stage. Can you come handle this situation? And so without thinking, I mean, you, you know this, you saw it, Rick. I jump into to 2000 Robbie bartender bouncer mode. I mean, literally. So <laughs> I run on stage and, 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 and Bubba, we're wondering where are the police at, right? Like right. where are the security guards? 4,000 men are in a building listening to speakers and there's no security guard in sight. And so, I walk up and apparently this guy, and, and, and I think he had, Rick, I mean, I think we found this out after, he had some challenges mentally and so he wasn't all there at the time. I think but that's safe to up. say, Robbie. I think that's a safe assumption. Okay, yeah, I, 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 was try, I was trying to be correct in that, but I think <laughs> it's a safe assumption. He walks up to the stage before all this, brings his backpack and drops it if you, and, and kind of walks away. And so that freaks people out. Then he comes back to the stage and then he's like worshiping hands raised doing the presentation part. Then he hops up on the stage and he has both hands raised as Dr. Moore speaking and he's going for the mic. So at that time is when I run on stage. So I run on the stage. He's got one hair in the hand in the air. He's grabbing the mic. And that's all I do because years ago I, I was a bouncer for, for a season. I put my hand, Bubba, in his hand, grab his hand. And I put my other hand around the back of his neck and squeeze as hard as I can and smile to the audience in front of all these men. <laughs> and he said, hey, who are you? And I said, we're going to go off the stage right now. And I just walk him right off the stage <laughs> and bring him down. And the police get him and they throw him out. And I'm thinking, what in the world just happened? Right, Rick? How about yeah, that it, was a cool move, Robbie, to be able to do that. I, I, I remember uh, having a discussion with Ollie North's uh, security guard here in the studio one time and I asked him, I said, what do you do if somebody charges Ollie during a speech? And he said, I take him by the pinky and throw him out. And I said, what are you talking about? And he took my pinky and bent it up and he led me out of the room. And then I understood. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And Bubba, once again, uh, I let Robbie at 66270 go handle this where I went outside to safety where I could help others. That's right. <laughs> uh, he ran left and I ran <laughs> Well, Robbie, you did – I mean, how many years did you play for the Titans, Robbie? Come on. No, uh, can I, I ever did that. <laughs> can I tell you what my experience was? We'll start that rumor on the podcast today. 
Yeah. yeah. All kidding aside, Bubba, it's not the same person, but it was another member of the team that we met uh, when Oliver North, uh, we were doing some speaking engagements with him and he was on the show when he was, you know, cranking out some new books. One of his guys that worked with that, I, I'm not making this up, the timing of all this when we were at this men's conference, he was he was saying with with my wife and I, you know, we have we have Burgess Ministries, the things that we do, and she does speaking and writing, and and I do some speaking and and now doing the stuff with themanchurch.com and and all this. He was trying to say if if now that you know you guys are getting older, you're becoming empty nesters. If y'all decide y'all need some some help with this part of what y'all do, I'd like to be your host for this conference i'll get you there i'll show you how i can be a handler you know i'll show you the things i can do that maybe if you guys need that i'd, I'd like to be considered for that job and this was his like audition and so i I, mm. I look up i look up and he has his hand in the middle of my back and he's pushing me and i like buddy what are you doing and he said i'll tell you one thing he said, I don't know whether that's a bomb or not. Good luck to Robbie. I wish him the best, but I'm gonna, I'm escorting you out of this building, out into the streets until we see if this thing blows up. Wow. That's true. Exciting hey, times. Listen, it was tense, Bubba. I'm telling you, because the bag was still there. The guy was on stage. Uh, thank God nothing happened, but that was a, a memorable season. Yeah. See, that's kind of like that's kind of like God used your time training you as a bouncer. Kind of like he walked Moses through Egypt so he would know the lay of the land so when he needed to use it later on, you know? It's either that or how to deal with a bunch of deacons. Either way. I mean, <laughs> you know, well, after that, after that, uh, the elders will be, will be very uh, lenient about when they want to complain about something, I guarantee you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bubba, you know what I look at it? Think about this. Let's talk about Saul for a minute. I think this is the best example. We know that he was passionately wrong. Uh, he was out to eradicate this new way, this, these followers of this Jesus from the face of the earth. And only God would take that guy who was so scary that even Ananias didn't want to talk to him. And God said, I got this guy. You're going to love him. I'm going to turn him loose on the Gentiles. And he's like, I, I don't, I've heard a lot about this guy. I think I'll take a pass. <laughs> and God said, no, I've got him ready to listen to me now. But he took that same personality that tried to eradicate the church transformed him and used that same personality to uh, personality personality to then advance the very church that he was persecuting. So he took Robbie Gallaty, who was a great bouncer, and he said, you will now be a bouncer for Jesus. Rick, I've got to know too, was that Zoom that locked up or was that Rick that just locked up? I'm confused. <laughs> I, I, th I, think th I think that one sadly is going to be on me. Uh, right, we're, we're talking with Robbie Allity. We'll jump right in on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so we're, we're with Robbie Gallaty, and, and let's jump into some of the topics, Robbie, that, that were covered. Let, let's First of all, let's do this. I know that this must sometimes get tiresome, of you having to go through your testimony because that's old Robbie, but there's so many people that are listening to this right now. They're watching this. They themselves or someone they love has alcohol addiction, drug addiction. They're living in the place where you once were, and they're wondering, is there any hope to, to come out of this? Let, let the people who may not know your testimony. Uh, we were talking about Saul and Paul and all this, but you did have one of these life-changing moments that only Jesus can do. So, so, so talk, talk about that and tell your story. Yeah. So I was actually raised in a very religious home. I was born and raised in South Louisiana. So I was, uh, 
right outside of New Orleans in a town called Chalmette, which is a small town in, uh, in the south part of Louisiana. And uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I was very religious growing up. Parents were Sunday uh, Catholic. We went every week, and uh, we missed church on Sunday, went to confession on Saturday. But, you know, back then, I didn't know the Lord. I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't have this personal relationship with Jesus. God, for me, was like this overbearing, domineering kind of father who every time I got out of line, he would chastise me. And uh, I would live like I want Monday through Saturday, expect the peace of God to come over me on Sunday and go do it again. Now, as a pastor, what I've realized, that doesn't just happen in the Catholic Church, right? That happens in the Baptist Church, in the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church. And so I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't have a relationship with him. So I went to uh, college. I was going to go play basketball at UNC Greensboro, which was a college in, in North Carolina. But the girl I was dating, Rick, is uh, going to LSU at the time. So she's like, there's no way you can go that far away. She said, why? Why don't you go somewhere closer to home? And so I passed on the scholarship there. I opened the phone book and I found William Carey College in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Now, for those who are listening, you're probably saying, where is that at? And that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. What, what kind of college is this, right? So I go try out for the team. The coach hesitantly let me come two weeks before the semester starts. And on that day, I had like the best tryout in the world. My mom told me months later, she's like, Robbie, I have to be honest with you. Son, I've never seen you play basketball that good as you did on that day. And frankly, you haven't played that good since. But on that day, <laughs> everything, the stars align, the planet, you know, planets are in place and you've got, you know, the Michael Jordan like reflexes. And I got a full ride to play basketball at William Carey College. Two weeks into the semester, the girl that I was dating thinks I'm cheating on her. She's going to LSU, thinks I'm cheating on her and breaks up with me. And by the providence of God, guys, I am at a Southern Baptist college as a Roman Catholic. And if you don't know what that means, I am the target of every evangelism class <laughs> on campus, right? Like, who do we tell about Jesus? It's Robbie. And so I heard the gospel, but I wasn't ready to receive the gospel. It wasn't until my second year, a man named Jeremy Brown, uh, who was a friend of mine. He was about 6'5". I believe he's the only guy really brave enough to share it with me. He came in my dorm room and he did something that was novel. Here's what's interesting. He befriended me, right? I wasn't, a, I wasn't a pitch or a presentation or a name on a sheet or a number to a convention. I was his friend. And over time, he earned the right to share the gospel with me. Now, he shared the gospel and I wasn't ready to receive it. But here's what I tell people. This is such a, a cool encouragement for us today. Don't ever underestimate the power of the sown seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the hardened hearts of men and women. I was the last guy who would ever want Jesus, but God would use those seeds in my hardened heart and bring them to fruition seven years later. And so if you're out there sharing with someone who's far from God, don't ever give up because God will bring those to fruition in his time. And so I took, took that gospel message, tucked it away, got out of college. I went and trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is how I got into bouncing and bartending. I wanted to be in the MMA. I was, you know, back then I was 6'6", 290 pounds. And uh, I, I'm bartending and bouncing at a club. And this is when my whole life changes. I'm coming home from work, November 22nd, 1999. And as I'm driving home, an 18-wheeler comes across two lanes of traffic, sandwiches my car on the high rise. If you guys have been to New Orleans, that big high bridge sandwiches my car into the guardrail 
and uh, I herniate two discs in my neck, two discs in my back. I go to the doctor, 22 years old, and here's the thing. I've never taken drugs in my life before. I wasn't a kid smoking pot behind the gym in high school. I was an athlete, so I've never taken drugs, but I'm legitimately in pain. And those who are listening know this is how people we know get addicted to drugs today, right? It's from a car accident or a shoulder injury or a, or a dentist operation. And so I legitimately was in pain and they sent me home with four drugs that would change the course of my life. Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet, 90 of each. And you know the story. Within three months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. I can't work anymore. I can't train anymore. I just want to get high. And so, and I'm legitimately in pain. So I'm taking every four to six hours. And within three months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Now, what they say today, Rick, and you guys know this, it takes seven days for a person to be addicted, full-blown to Oxycontin. Seven days for a person to be addicted to Oxycontin. I was on it for three months and I was a full-blown addict. Uh, I decided I couldn't make money because the drugs were going out faster than I could take them. I was using them. And so I started to sell drugs. I started a legal import business at the age of 22 where I was trafficking everything I could into the city. Uh, marijuana, GHB, Special K, uh, which is not a cereal, uh, cocaine, heroin. And I'm telling you that not to impress you with any of this. I just want to impress upon you, if you're listening, just how far the Lord brought me from. Times were good in the beginning. I had tons of money. I went to the Cadillac dealership back then in the height of this and paid cash for a $50,000 Cadillac CTS, black on black chrome rims. If you would have seen me back then, you would have said, Robbie, by the world standards, man, you have it all. And for a season, I thought I did. But you know, guys, I go to bed at night and in the quietness of my own heart, I would hear the voice of God even back then. And I would think, wow, there has to be more to life than this. I ran out of money like every addiction takes you. You know, we know this from sin. It takes you further than you want to go, keeps you there longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you ever want to pay. And, and, and the thing about an addiction or sin is you always think, I can handle this thing. I got a right. handle on this. Right. And it always takes you further than you want to go. I basically couldn't pay the bills anymore. And so I decided to take my dad's credit card number. I charged $50,000, I'm sorry, $15,000 on the family bank accounts over the course of three months. My mom found out about it in 2001, kicked me out of the home. And she said, Robbie, don't ever come to this house again. And for the next two and a half, three months, I lived hell on earth. I live without gas, electricity, and water. We mastered the art of the cold shower. I would get into freezing cold water, no cold air. I mean, no hot air, freezing cold in the house. And I did that for about three months because we were more interested in getting high than paying the bills. Now, let me just pull over and park here. I've realized over the last 17 years, being a, a Christian and a pastor, counseling hundreds and thousands of people, I've realized that if you're listening and you have a person who is struggling with an addiction, it's a son or a daughter, a husband or a wife, a family member, you can always, watch this, you can always trace an addiction back to an enabler. A perpetual addiction continues because of, there's, because of the enabler in their life. Most of the cases, it's a mother. And the mom wants the best for the kids, right? This is my son. I want to pay his rent three times a month and pay the phone bill twice a month. In my case, it was my father. My dad loved me and he thought he was helping me. He was actually hurting me. And as we know with drug addiction, there's only three outs, jail, 
institution or death. And so my mom called me on the phone that day and she said, Robbie, we found out about what you did. Don't come to this house again. And Rick, what happened was it was the tough love of my mother that saved my life. Here's the line I want to give you. And I believe this line will be a healing balm and a, and a challenge to those who are feeling like they may be the enabler. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. Ooh. Now think about that. If you keep being their savior, why in the world are they going to turn to, to the Lord Jesus if they can turn to dad? Why are they going to turn uh, to the to the Lord when they can turn to their father? And so God had to allow me to get so low where the only place I looked was to him. And so after two rehab treatments, long story, one of which was in Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, Bubba, you appreciate that one, of course. <laughs> and that's another sermon for another day. Uh, the second rehab treatment, I came back and I remembered what a guy in college told me seven years before about Jesus. And I simply was desperate enough to say, I might as well give Jesus a try. Now, I didn't know the gospel completely. I didn't know all the tenets of salvation and justification. Here's what I did. I put the little faith I had in as much of Jesus as I knew. And guys, I had this radical Paul-like conversion. The day I was saved is the day God called me into ministry. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's what happened to me. And that was 17 years ago. Robbie wow. Gattelty is wow. our guest. We will continue to talk to him. You heard the testimony. We'll unpack this and talk about what he's doing today when we come back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. So Gabby Insurance, uh, a lot of you are thinking, Rick, what in the world is this? Don't sell me on any more insurance, and I'm not going to. I'm actually going to save you money on insurance. Uh, most of us, when it comes to our automobile insurance and it comes to our homeowner's insurance, we just pretty much accepted, you know, the insurance company that our dad had, or our mom had, or our granddaddy had, and we really never questioned. We go get the coverage that's required of us on our home. We go get the coverage that we're required on our car, and then we just live with it. But with Gabby.com, you can find out at no charge to you whether you're paying too much for your homeowners or your automobile insurance. And we're averaging people a savings of about $825 a year. That's how much people on average are overpaying for the exact same coverage. We're not asking you to back it down. And if you've got the best coverage, I got an email today. Somebody used Gabby.com slash Bubba and uh, slash Rick and Bubba. And, and guess what they found? They, they had the best deal. What's wrong with that? So if you may find out the deal you got is the best and it costs you absolutely nothing, they're not going to sell your information to anyone either. It's totally free to check your rate and no obligation to do anything. Uh, just stop overpaying on your car and home insurance by going to Gabby. That's G-A-B-I, Gabby.com slash Rick Bubba. Just Rick Bubba. Put the two names together. That's Gabby, G-A-B-I.com slash Rick Bubba. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, Robbie Gallaty, we just heard your testimony. So you're saying that that seed that was planted seven years prior laid there, you went through horrible drug addiction, um, and, and you, you, you gave some points because I know in my family, every family, there's not a person that is watching this or listening to it that isn't impacted in some way, shape, or form, sadly, today, by alcohol or drug addiction and mainly over the kind of drugs that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, there's a lot going on with meth and, and all those things as well. Don't know that you ever got into that, but these kinds of addictions are incredibly hard to break. 
but you said something to the enablers today, I think might be difficult to hear because it's so hard to do. You, if you keep saving them, Jesus never can. Yeah. You see what I tried to do the first people say, why did you go to rehab twice? Uh, because the first time I did it without Christ. And what I tell people is you have to look at addiction, like any sin in a person's life, it separates you from the Lord. And so what happens is you're in this prison cell. You feel like you have freedom. You can walk around the cell, but you're still imprisoned by sin. And the only way to get out of that addiction or sin is for someone from the outside, namely Christ, to set you free from the sin you're in. And so that's why the first time, uh, the first time I went uh, to rehab, I relapsed. And you can have momentary seasons of sobriety. But if you want to have long-term victory and long-term abundant life that Christ promised, then you need him to set you free. And so that's what I did. I had this radical conversion. And after that, I just felt compelled that God was going to use this mess of a life that I had created for so many years and use that as a platform for a message uh, to encourage people. I mean, you know this, the greatest epidemic in our country of the pandemic, yes, it's COVID, we get that. But the silent pandemic no one's talking about is addiction. In fact, I've got some statistics, uh, guys, I'll, I'll share, just got this yesterday. Uh, last year, 46.2 people overdose a day in Tennessee. I'm a pastor in Tennessee, so these are relevant to Tennessee. I'm sure in Alabama and others, right. it'd be similar. Five overdoses a day, three suicide deaths a day. Tennessee population is 4.5 million, and yet there are 5.3 million prescriptions filled in the state, add the illegal drugs to that, and you have one person in the county I pastor die every 36 hours from overdose. Wow. Nobody's talking about it. And Robbie, I, I think you made a great point, and I hope that everyone that, that really soaked in with everybody, uh, one of the great universal truths is cause and effect. And a lot of people in society are in denial of that today, but there is cause, and everything you do has an effect to it. And or as we would say, a consequence. And even the love of a parent who is trying to nurture a child, when you keep interfering with that process, and, and in your case, the consequences should have been negative enough to help push you back to, to something else, and, and Jesus in this case. But when a parent interferes with that cause and effect and consequence circle, they actually make the problem go on longer than it should have been uh, solved to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. And you know, God's greatest instrument to teach us and conform us into the image of his son is suffering. And sadly, I mean, I'm a pastor. So many times, you know, if you go to Wednesday night prayer meeting or Sunday night gatherings, the prayer time consists of people praying for God to remove suffering and pain from a person's life. And I always think to myself, like, are you removing the very thing God is using right. to make them better? Remember trials given by God are always meant for his children, never to make them worse, but to make them better. And so God always builds up through trials, never breaks down through trials. And so I think that's a great point. Uh, Robbie, you just, I mean, it's, we've been talking about these things. So I mean, we talked about on the show just the other day about the point that you just made. I mean, you, you look, we talk about Paul again, here he is in second Corinthians 12 and, 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 and my wife wrote a book about the, the earthly death of our two and a half year old son. 
And, and in it, she talks about this journey to understand. She said, and I realized when I go into scripture that pain and suffering and is in the, in the scriptures and God has not left us with no answers on why he allows it. You mentioned it. Uh, he's always doing this, uh, you know, to test the genuineness of our faith. First Peter, uh, he does it to humble us now in second Corinthians with Paul says, I'll tell you why God is not removing this thorn in my flesh that, that the, that the adversary is using to harass me. I keep asking him to remove it. And he says he won't because he doesn't want me to become conceited. He wants me to remember that I actually had been offered a tremendous amount of grace, even because I became this big deal in the church. Now, don't ever forget what I delivered you from. So he's keeping me humble. So I celebrate these calamities. I mean, you look at the list in, in chapter 11 of second Corinthians, he gives you a resume of everything God allowed the apostle Paul to go through. And we think we're going to be exempt from benefiting from pain and suffering, we see all these answers in scripture. And you're right. Our first reaction, which is usually wrong, because I don't know about you, my first reaction is usually flesh, it's yeah. not spirit. That's right. That's you know, right. and, get and me so out of first, this, man. Yeah, it, it's to stop it. So uh for time's sake, so that those are all great points. I know you've told that story. Thank you for that. And your book that came out about a year ago, uh, rediscovered goes through all this, right? They they could someone could read that and and hear recovery. Recovered, I'm sorry, through, through all the, the recovered, through all this that you just told us about. Yes. This is my life story. Uh, I weave the gospel in three times. It talks about my, pa it's written around the story of my parents, which is a really cool story, how they actually saved me physically at the bottom of the barrel when I was down to nothing. But God was using me later on to save all of them spiritually. It's a really cool story. So let's talk about the latest book, Replicate. Um, we, we the replicate ministries is, is something that you are doing, uh, you know, along with being the pastor there in Hendersonville at Long Hollow Baptist Church. You and I talked about this before before we started the podcast. We see that we're told to make disciples. Uh, we're to re replicate, you know, our redemption and and to help someone else along the way. But I think a lot of times in church language, uh, we throw around these phrases, but people don't know what we mean. You, you, hey, you need to, you need to make, you need to make disciples. Okay. How, uh, you know, we, we, we do a lot with men's ministry. You know, we're talking about this. We tell men, Hey, be the spiritual leader of your home. Uh, okay. How, what, what, what does that mean? Hey, you need to be making disciples friend. Okay. But, but how, what does that look like? And so replicate ministries, we are told to make disciples and to continue to disciple others while we ourselves are being discipled. Tell us about Replicate Ministries in the, in the new book. Yeah, so I, like you, I share, share the same passion. I was discipled years ago. So after I got radically saved, Bubba and I talked about this earlier, uh, I was an eight-month-old baby Christian, and I was at a church called Edgewater Baptist Church, and there was this young guy. He looked about 12 or 13, to be honest, <laughs> blonde-haired, boy-looking guy. Uh, little did I know who he was, but he was a seminary student named David Platt. And David walks across one Sunday. He's like, man, would you be interested to meet once a week to study the Bible, memorize scripture, and pray? I said, David, I'd love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. When do we meet? And guys, for the next two years, twice a week, David and I started just the two of us at uh, the Chinese restaurant, Mr. Wang's uh, Chinese over <laughs> General So's chicken. And then we moved to the Italian restaurant for pizza. And then we moved to campus. And David has been influential in my life from the beginning. He baptized me. He took me on my first mission trip. He stood in my wedding. 
David has been a, a great friend and mentor. And people always ask me, what was it like, Rick, to be discipled by David Platt? Like, what was that like? Did y'all study the finer tenets of soteriology? And did you parse out eschatology? And, I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure we did. And I can't remember much of that. But here's what I remember. I remember from David how he lived before me, not just what he said to me. Right. And David taught me a wonderful principle about discipleship. You can't expect from others, whether you're a parent or a teacher or a pastor or a radio host, you can't expect from others what you're not emulating yourself. So if you want your kids to be praying men and women of God, you need to be praying. If you want them to get into the word, into the word gets into you, then you, then you need to get it. You know, so it's a principle David taught me. And so here's what I realized. Most of Christianity today teaches people, watch this, what we're saved from, but they don't tell us what we're saved for, mm. like you said. So we, we will spend a lot of time saying, you don't want to go to that old dirty, nasty place called hell, do you? Right. Say a prayer, repeat after me, say amen at the right spot. And when you do, I'll pat you on the back, give you a Bible, tell you to read it, John, and then hopefully you'll live your Christian life. And they have no clue of what to do. And we wonder why the church is in the place it's in today. We have a generation after generation of undiscipled disciples. And so what the Lord showed me is the reason maybe we don't have discipleship happening is because as leaders of the church, we have taught people how to share their faith, watch this, not how to live their faith out with other people. It's one thing to share your faith. It's another thing to live your faith with another person. And so uh, that's what Replicate is. It's a basically a practical, tried and true, tested method of discipleship, not just in a local church or a ministry, but in your own life. As you said, to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. And that never ends to the, to the end of your life, you know? We were talking about Replicate, and, and I think this is something that is, is so missing and the reason why the church seems sometimes, and we're talking about the Western church, we're not talking about the church around the world. Um, I, I, I laughed pretty hard. A, a friend of ours uh, went into the persecuted church of Egypt where they were meeting in a cave. And, and of course, what happens as Americans, we immediately start telling them, hey, if you need anything, we're here to help you. And, and the pastor goes to my friend, who was great. He loves Jesus and he meant well. And he says, I don't think we need to learn anything from you. <laughs> I think, I, I think you need to learn, you need to learn from us because, wow. because we've never really experienced persecution, but the Lord is changing that. He, he's, he's now starting to allow the Western church to experience, not to that degree yet, but we're starting to experience persecution. And, and what we're finding as, you know, the churches that for the most part with, with and there are exceptions, praise the Lord for that. But a lot of them operate like spiritual social clubs meaning everybody is about an inch deep uh, and about a mile wide. And they're kind of experiencing, you know, if they're, if they're even saved at all, uh, which, you know, a lot of them are cultural Christians. I'm a redeemed cultural Christian. That's my testimony. Uh, you know, the whole time that I was lost, the whole time I was waging war on society, uh, I wasn't in a church for 13 years. And if you asked me if I was a Christian on my worst day, I would say, absolutely, I'm a Christian. Uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, then that, that was probably sending a pretty bad vibe of what Christianity, as you said, uh, looked like. Well, you know, I, we're doing a study right now on our Wednesday Bible study in First Peter, and we just finished in chapter 2 yesterday when he said, look, you need to be craving spiritual milk 
you know, you need, you're like babies of the faith and you need to be nourished. And I've heard this analogy. So the church really should act like nurseries for baby Christians. But like you just said, what we do too many times is said, thank goodness you're saved now. Now go grab your Bible, go sit where you're going to sit for the rest of your life in this church. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll grow up as a Christian, but we're not intentional about it. And um, so, so w- when you talked about the, this replicate process and discipleship, when we, we talk about this word, it has to include certain things. What are some of the things it needs to include? Yeah. So there's a difference. I, I, I love what you say about the nursery idea. In fact, I wrote about it a little bit in the book Replicate. Um, we would never do this. Like, let's say you guys decide to come to, up to Nashville and you're going to visit our church. And uh, let's say you have small children with you because okay? so you got small babies and you say, hey, these these are grandkids right here and uh, a couple weeks old. And as you're you know, your children are, are bringing their grandchildren to drop them off at the nursery. Uh, one of my workers says, hey, listen, we're understaffed today. We have an extra room in the back that you can drop your child off to. Now, nobody's going to give any kind of attendance to it and nobody's going to help, but it's fine. Just leave your child there. Would your daughter or son ever go down to the room, put their infant baby in the room, and as they're walking out the door, throw in a bottle and say, oh, feed yourself. We'll be back to get you after the service. You'd never do that. No. You never. It'd be insane. It'd be child abuse. We do it every week. We call it the church. We have brand new, born again infants in Christ cross the threshold of faith. They repeat a prayer. They walk in awe. They sign a card. They're born again, and we pat them on the back and we say, "Hey, here's a Bible. Go feed yourself." And we wonder why we're in this situation we're in. So I would say, here, here's how you look at discipleship. If someone told you that your Christian life was just waiting for Jesus to return, for the kingdom to come at the second coming of Christ, and whether you do anything for the Lord or not is, you know, is frivolous, then that's not the gospel. The kingdom of heaven, and this is a big topic for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, when I saw this, guys, it changed everything. The kingdom of heaven for Jesus, 90% of the time was here and now. It was not there and then. And if you ask the average American Christian, where is the kingdom of heaven? They're going to say when Jesus returns, when the roll is called up yonder, my name's on it, hopefully I'll be there. (laughs) That's not what Jesus, when Jesus came around people, he said, the kingdom's on you because it's a person. When Jesus came around his disciples and sent them out, he said, the power of the kingdom is with you. It's a people. When Jesus would perform miracles, he would come around them and he would say, the kingdom of heaven is with you. It's a power. So for us though, the kingdom of heaven is some place we go to. And I think if Christians just change the way they view just the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom is not something we wait for Jesus to bring at the second coming. The kingdom, watch this, is a power and a reality today that Christ is trying to bring to earth through us as we invest in the people of God around us. And so what I would say to people is this, just think of the word disciple. The word Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible. Two of those times, it's a negative term of derision. In fact, Harper's Dictionary says it's negative. They were making fun of him. Like, you guys are little Christ. Like, your your Messiah died. Come on, man. It wasn't until years later the term was a positive term. I'm not saying it's not positive today. Just follow me. The other option is the word disciple. Now, Bubba, think about this. Guess how many times, guys, the word disciple is used in the New Testament. Just the word disciple. A bunch. A bunch. Bingo. 200. You ready for this? (laughs) 269 times 
238 times in the gospel alone. So it begs the question, what does Jesus want us to be, Christians or disciples? Now, even further, if you parse it out further, the word Christian is a static term. It's a description. You're a Christian. Great. The word disciple in Greek is a dynamic term. It, it, it has action to it. It has a response to it. So the word disciple is a learner, a student. So the question we ask is this. Are you a follower of God if you're not learning and growing and drinking spiritual meat and milk in your Christian life? And I'll let you figure that out yourself. Robbie, yeah. let, let me ask you this, and I, I know we're, we're closing in. Time is, is getting away from us here, but let me ask you this. In America today, we have a lot of division. We have uh, a lot of people who have different opinions on things, and it kind of gets thrown into the column of politics, but it really is about beliefs. And we have people who call themselves Christians who have very different views on where life begins, on what a marriage should look like. Um, can you address some of that? How, how do we tackle that and do it in a loving way and not be uh, shut out because we're not befriending, but yet not endorse some things that a lot of us just do not believe in? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Obviously, we probably need a whole show to talk about it, but I would say quickly, to be a kingdom citizen, see, a lot of us, it's a, it's a long explanation, but a lot of us view the law of the Old Testament as being for the Jews, and now we have Christ, and we're free in Christ, and we don't right. need that old dirty law. The problem is that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus came to do. Jesus said, I didn't get do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Every stroke of the letter or the smallest stroke of the letter will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away until, until all is com- accomplished. So I would say as a Christian, you don't have the right to play and live by your own playbook, right? To be a Christian, you operate and drive in the lanes or the parameters by which Christ is set. And like you said, as a Christian today, to claim to be a Christian, you have to abide by a king and you have to follow the rules. Now, you can, for years, as you said, Rick, we've been Christian, so to speak, and lived outside of the rules. And there are consequences for that if you are a Christian and say you are and live outside of the rules. But Jesus said, when you follow me, you have to not only live this way for an abundant Christian life, but you're going to prosper this way. And this is a good life. And we don't follow the rules and regulations to earn salvation. It's not how it works. We live this way because God says that is the way you're going to have the most intimate personal relationship with me. And if you do that, this is a better way to live. So I do think a lot of name only Christians, as you're saying today, people who claim the right or uh, profess, but don't possess. And that's what I love about COVID. I hate to say the blessing of COVID for me as a pastor is, uh, is a couple of blessings and obviously a lot of challenges. So I'm not saying that they didn't come with challenges, but here's what I would say. The thing that's happening in my church, we are back to 40% capacity pre-COVID. So we are running, we have 40% of our pre-COVID attendance back. But I will tell you, if you come to our church this Sunday, the power of the Holy Spirit and the sense of God is palpable in the room. There is not a service, we've been back five weeks, where people are not crying and weeping and hand-raising and worshiping like never before. Now, what's happened? I think Rick alluded to it. The fringe folk who were coming to church because they are 
Middle Tennessee or Bible Belt Christians, because that's the Christian thing to do, have said, we're out. And the people who now have come back are those who have a sensitivity to the Lord. They want more of God and they are enjoying the God, enjoying God. And I'm just telling you guys, I think my prayer is that we're in for a revival in this country of epic proportion. I mean, there's only two ways we're heading now. It's either rapture or revival, the way our country's going. (laughs) And I don't know about you guys. I'm praying it's revival. Amen. Amen. Robbie, thank you. Yeah. uh, and I may raise my hands on that one. Uh, I saw that hand. I saw uh, that hand. I'm going to give you two. Uh, If you want to get to find out more about Replicate Ministries, go to replicate.org. Robbie Gallaty, if you want to find any of the books that he's written, including the one recovered about his testimony, you can can certainly just Google his name as well, G-A-L-L-A-T-Y, and and you can see all the books that he's written over the years. Robbie, thank you for for how you live your life. I, I know that we're nothing but beggars showing people where the food is. Uh, but um, I appreciate uh, what you do. Thanks for taking time to be with us today. And uh, I look forward to what God has planned that we can do together going forward. Hey, so good to be with you guys. Thank you for what you do. Uh, and thanks to all of you that joined us today on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Mm-hmm.